0: is beautiful because you are beautiful Jesus you are amazing and you are worthy of our worship you are worthy of our praise you are worthy of our awe you are worthy of wonder God and you are worthy of obedience Jesus we love you Would you send your spirit which is already here to lead our time today. Jesus, would you help us to see you more clearly, to understand your word and activity? God, would you help orient us to reality today, the reality of who you are and who we are and what you are doing in this world? Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing, but through you, all things are possible. So I ask that through you today, Jesus, this time would help us to, again, understand you more clearly. So we love you, Jesus. We turn this time over to you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. You guys can I have a seat. So here we are on the day of Pentecost, and the question for all of us is, who wants to experience more of God's love? So who wants to experience more of God's love? It's rhetorical, so we don't have to answer. Um, Ideally, if there is more of God's love available for us to experience and God is the good God who he revealed himself to be in the Bible, of course we do. Now, do we experience God's love? Yes, we all experience God's love regardless of our affiliation to him. Whether or not we claim ourselves to be Christians, we experience his love because we experience his creation. That creation is good. It is a function in an outpouring of His love. That we experience His love even by the way that we are created in His image with our capacity to love, our capacity to appreciate what is good and true and beautiful. All of us experience God's love to some measure through creation. Christians, we experience God's love even more through his saving grace by Jesus' work on the cross, which is the deepest expression of love that the world has ever known. The self-sacrificing for our good, to forgive sins, to defeat death, and to give us life. So everyone experiences God's love through creation, Christians experience God's love through his saving grace and work on the cross. The question is, is there more of God's love available? And the answer is an emphatic yes. That we serve a living God who loves us enough not to leave us in the condition where he finds us. Who loves us enough to be actively and daily involved in our lives through his spirit to comfort and teach, to lead and guide and empower us. Pentecost is a celebration of the church receiving his Holy Spirit. And what we're exploring today is the primary way, or I don't know, a really powerful way that we experience God's love. And that is through obedience. And so even saying those words can feel a little like, is this going to be a condemning sermon today? We're talking about obedience. And that comes with a lot of baggage because we all know that we have all struggled with obedience, or we have this picture of God as the taskmaster who is sitting back, keeping a notebook of all of our good acts and all of our bad acts and waiting for us to slip up, or having a scales. There's an old image of what it looks like to get into heaven as St. Peter at the pearly gates with scales of good deeds versus bad deeds, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you get in, which is absolutely False. Obedience has nothing to do with our salvation. We could never earn our salvation. We can never earn our salvation. Jesus earned salvation for us on the cross. But salvation is not the only experience of God's love. It is the most epic and eternal. But sanctification, the process of our lives being set apart and conformed to the image of Christ is daily how we get to walk in the love of Christ. And we're going to explore that three ways. So we're going to explore that through uh, my relationship to my kids as a natural example we can all reason through. We're going to explore that through the experience of the apostles in Acts 1 and 2 that Jeff alluded to, and then we're going to see that this is in uh, accord with Jesus' teaching. So we're going to look at my kids, we're going to look at the apostles, and we're going to explore Jesus' teaching, and then we're going to look at what that means for us today and how do we walk in accordance with this good news. The good news is that there is comfort and healing and instruction available from God. Would you go to the next slide? This is a great nemesis of my family. We have this beautiful sweet gum tree in our backyard. It is tall, and it would cost us more than $1,000 to remove. And the gift that it gives us is what my children call the spiky ball. Our yard is full of thousands of spiky balls. We clean them up and more fall. Um, I worked it out. I was like, okay, I could pay my kids like $50 a year to clean up all of these and they would be out of high school by the time it would pay off to actually cut the tree down. But I still am questioning whether or not we should cut it down because you walk barefoot, In the yard and inevitably you will step on one of these if you are barefoot in my backyard for long enough so my children inevitably have run out the back door of our house and are playing in the backyard and step on a spiky ball my job as father who loves my children i pick them up i tend to the wounds on the soles of their feet i put triple antibiotic on which Guys, 60% of parenting is marketing. And so triple antibiotic um, is known in our house as tickle cream. And so because if you put it on, it tickles. So instead of saying, oh, this will heal the wounds, it's tickle cream. They ask for it by name. And so we put some tickle cream on. We get a character theme band-aid and put it on. We hug and hold our kids and help them to feel better. They experience our love through the comfort that we offer them when they step on a spiky ball. The comfort is an important part of our parenting, an integral part of our parenting. The love and comfort they, they receive as we're holding them and drying their tears and tending to their wounds is comfort that they receive. But if my love for them ended there, I would not be a great dad if they ran out day after day, barefoot into the yard, stepping on spiky balls, receiving triple antibiotic and band-aids. I would be inadequate in my love. My love includes loving and comforting them in the pain and affliction of living in the fallen world where spiky balls exist But it also includes instructions to them so that they can navigate this fallen world well. Boys, wear your sandals in the yard. And I'm actively engaged in cleaning up the spiky balls, but despite my best effort, there are more. And so in this world, there is sin and there is pain. In this world, you will suffer. And so spiky balls is one of the ways that we suffer. So my love for my kids includes two things. It includes loving them, comforting them, healing them, binding up their wounds. And it also includes instructions on how to avoid the wounds that are available in our backyard. So one of the most important ways that my kids experience my love is through their obedience to my instruction, because I see and understand the perils that are around them. By obeying what I say, they can avoid the pain of spiky balls and many other dangers that are to three- and four-year-olds. So this carries through to us. Is God a comforting, loving, healing father? Absolutely. 100%. He promises to bind up our broken hearts. He promises to tend to us, to comfort us, to heal us and care for us. But he is not weak or stupid. He also understands what is in the world, and he loves us enough to tell us how to navigate the world well so that we can live in his love, so that we can flourish and do well and avoid difficult and painful things that will ultimately hurt us. So, is love is inextricably linked to his commands and to our obedience, that we get to experience more of his love by obeying him. My kids get to experience my love through obedience when I'm right. And with the spiky balls I'm right, put on your shoes, you'll avoid the pain, there is love. So, natural reasoning from my life and backyard. This is the same thing is at play in the life of the apostles. Um, We looked at Acts 1 this morning. Jeff read it as we reflected on it. And if you want to flip to the next, yeah, uh, two slides actually. We're going to go to the shortened version. And so he read this already, and what we see is Jesus was about to ascend, and what he gave them was a command. He gave them an order. His order was not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. Is this because Jesus was waiting to condemn them for disobedience? No. Was this because God was angry or malicious or even just like waiting to see if they they do it right? No, that's not the primary thing that he was doing here. The primary reason he gave his disciples an order is because before that, he set this vision of this virtually impossible, ridiculous vision. He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you because you'll be my witnesses in Judea and in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you'll flip forward one more slide, we'll see the same call in Matthew 28. He says, and Jesus came to them and said, this is... The last, this is how the Gospel of Matthew ends. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you till the end of the age. See, Jesus had given his apostles this impossible mission of carrying the good news of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus to the entire world. This is a band of relatively uneducated, relatively not powerful guys in the ancient Near East that were charged with carrying the good news of Jesus, this subversive religion, through the entire world. It's a huge command. It's a huge vision. It's a huge mission. And so, if you go back one slide... He said he ordered them to go to Jerusalem and wait because they actually needed something they didn't have in order to carry out the mission that he was calling them into. They needed something else. So his commandment wasn't punitive. His commandment was love. His commandment was wait. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. So you can flip ahead, too, to where it just says Acts 2, because I'm going to highlight a couple parts of Acts 2. Acts 2 says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, suddenly from heaven There came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as if it was fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Okay. So he gave them this charge to say, go, preach the gospel, baptize people, and make disciples of the whole world. Okay, great. What do we do? Go and wait. Wait until I give you more. He gave them more. And then watch what happened. He gave them the ability to speak other languages. In five, it says, now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, crowds gathered around and were bewildered because each one of them Heard the disciples speaking in their native language. Amazed and astonished, they ask, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Fygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed by this. So Jesus's commandment to his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem was his love, his will for their good. And his will for their good was go and wait because you need something else to carry out the mission that I gave you. Jesus's Jesus's commandments to us are about love about self-sacrificially seeking our best interest. His commands are not to harm us. His commands are not to punish us. His commands are not to restrict good things from us. His commands are about helping us to flourish and to experience his love. So, we see this with my children in spiky balls. We see this with his apostles in the day of Pentecost. Now, this is also foundational to Jesus' teachings. So if you'll go to the next slide, Matthew 7, 24. See, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I was realizing... As we sing the children's song, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, is in kids' song, is that I thought of that as the wise man built his house upon a doctrinal foundation of Christianity. And that is in part true, but the doctrinal foundation of Christianity is a reigning and ruling Jesus, one who tells us things and invites them to put them invites us to put his words to put his life in practice in our lives. 1 Corinthians 3:11 tells us that our foundation is Christ. Not just something he taught, not just something he did, but Jesus himself. 1 Peter 3:5 tells us that we're called to a living hope. It says, blessed be God, the Father of Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our living hope is Jesus. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." And then later he invites us to come to him, come to Jesus, a living stone. Though rejected by mortals, chosen and precious in God's sight, And like living stones, we are being built into a spiritual house, a priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's amazing what Jesus says. It's foundational to his teaching. He says, to experience my love, to experience a rock that does not fail, to build your life on something that is firm, listen to me, obey me, because Jesus is the way, he is the truth and he is the life. He also taught it in John 15, the next slide. He says, as my Father has loved you, has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He says, come and live in my love. Live in my love. How do we live in your love, Jesus? If you keep my commandments, you will live in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and live in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is powerful. He says, he says, live in my love. Abide in my love. Come, live in my love. Don't just look at my love, but live in it. How do we live in his love? Well, we receive forgiveness from our sins. And then he is our savior, and then we live in his commands, his active teaching. He is our Lord. He is our king. He's inviting us into a way of life where we can avoid some of the spiky balls and pain, where we can receive the power that is necessary to live the lives that he has called us to. It says, come and follow me is the invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples. Come, learn from me, live from me, take my life, take my knowledge and live in me. When we obey him and live in and experience his love. When we obey him, we live in and experience his love. Obeying him does not earn his love. This is key. Obeying him does not earn his love. You don't earn more of his love by obeying him. His love is perfect for you. He died, died to forgive your sins. While you were still an enemy, he died for you. He loved you before you loved him we do not earn his love but he invites us to receive more of his love by taking him seriously by listening to him because the reality is is, is this it's Isaiah 55 it's the next slide He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon right? This is Jesus. He is the great forgiving and loving God. He is the one who invites us back over and over again to say, come and receive my love. It has been bought for you. I will pardon you. I will have mercy on you. I will forgive you because all of my wrath was poured out on Jesus, that Jesus has made a way for us back to the Father to live in his love. But he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways are your ways, for, as high, for the heavens are higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This is a key verse on obedience, because so often I look at something and I say, I know the right way to go. I'm going to go this way, Jesus. And he says, no, let's do it this way. And it may not make sense. But his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I serve a God who knows everything and a God who sees everything and a God who perfectly loves. And so if he knows everything and he sees everything, that he has eternally existed and he is the wisest being to ever live. That he sees the whole thing. That we can trust him. When he says go this way, even when it doesn't make sense to us, we can go that way because we serve a God who knows it all and perfectly loves us. The love comes first, he perfectly loves us. And so what he tells us is good and we can trust him. We can trust that when we obey him, it is good. It is abiding in his love. So we can see this naturally with spiky balls and love. We can see that this is exactly what Jesus did on the day of Pentecost that we're celebrating today with his disciples giving commandments so that they can live in his love. We can see that Jesus taught this, inviting people into obedience so that we might experience his love. And when this happens, it's pretty exciting if you'll go to Acts, we can see uh, the next one, Acts two thirty-seven. Great, we can see that <clears throat> the outcome is pretty sweet, and well, and this is a transition for what? Then do we do right? So great, we live in His love got it, Dave. You've said it seven times. Now, what does this actually and practically look like for us here and today? What does it mean to abide in his love? What does it mean to obey his commandments? Do we make a list of every single imperative in the Bible and attempt to begin to live it out? No. Be free. Um, sorry. (laughs) Um, so what do we do? So in Acts two, before thirty-seven, I'm actually gonna read this. Um, so we saw in Acts two, we saw um, we saw the Holy Spirit come and give power for mission. And then Peter stands up and raises his voice. (laughs) Um, The people then, uh, so they're speaking in different languages. Everybody's saying, what does this mean? Some people sneered and said, oh, they're drunk. Peter stands up and says, with the 11, he says, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let it be known and listen to what I say to you. Indeed, we're not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And we we don't have breakfast club in Judea. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel in the last days, it will be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that your sons and daughters shall prophesy, that your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved you that are Israelites listen to what I have to say Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with deeds of power wonders and signs that God did through him among you as you yourselves know this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law but God raised him Him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says this I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites might say confidently of our ancestor David that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. That Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on the throne foreseeing that this David he spoke of was the Messiah. He will not abandon him to Hades. So he makes a long argument here that Jesus was raised from the dead using Jewish scripture. And then he invites them to salvation. He says, "Jesus, this Jesus God raised up and of all that of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you may see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of God know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus who you cru- crucified. Preaches the gospel message, right? Jesus lived. He did a bunch of signs and wonders, proving that he was Messiah, fulfilling the Jewish prophecy. He was killed unrighteously at the hands of Israelites. He was raised up from the dead by God himself. And then everybody, the crowds heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said this, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And he testifies with other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized and about 3,000 persons were added that day. The command, how do, what do we put into practice? Two things happen. First, you repent and you receive. Repentance is turning from walking in your own direction. It is turning to walk towards Jesus. It is getting baptized. It is receiving the Holy Spirit, right? So it is repenting and receiving. And then it is following. The next slide we see. It continues in Acts 2. It says, After they were aware of their sin, realized their folly in killing Jesus, that they repented, they turned from total opposition to Jesus, surrendered their own way of doing things, turned to follow Jesus, were baptized into his death, were forgiven, and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very crowds that chanted for Jesus' death. And then they followed they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of the bread and prayers and this is where it gets specific for us how do we grow how do we live in the commandments of god how do we live in his love how do we abide in his love i think there's three specific ways that we do that that we grow with god that we get to know him better That we learn from him, that we commune with him, that we spend time with him. That we grow with his people and in the context of his church and each other. Where we can see God at work in each other. We can spur one another on and care for each other. That we can be in loving community because we were created to be in loving community. And then we live it out. So the first two are encapsulated really well. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles teaching, growing with God. Right, They were studying what the apostles were teaching, that we can study what the apostles teach in our Bibles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They were spending time with each other, that they were breaking bread and communion with each other. They were eating meals together and fellowshipping and spending time and centering their table around Jesus. And they were praying together. And out of this, this is how they were abiding in God's love. This is how they were living in his commandments. They were studying what he said. They were spending time together. They were eating together and they were praying together. And all, came upon everyone, because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day they spent much time together in the temple, and they broke bread at home and ate food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. So the third component of what they did is they lived it out. They put their belief into action. They actually sold things. They gave money and time and food to people who had need. They lived out the convictions that they were being taught. And so the invitation for us is to grow with God. If you don't have a routine of growing closer to God through prayer and scripture, I want to encourage you to do that. That it can be so full of guilt if we've been in evangelicalism for a long time, just feeling like we need to do this thing, and, and it's a guilt-driven thing. Man, this is, you're not going to earn God's love through your devotional practices. You don't earn it through your devotional practices. Jesus earned it through the cross. But devotional practices are given to us as a gift so that we can live in his love, so that we can understand what he is saying, what he has said, and what he is saying to us today. How he is giving us, by his spirit, inclinations of how to live out this faith on earth in our own lives So if you don't have regular devotional practice, I want to give you a really easy one. It's called 15 minutes. It's approximately one part of your day. To set aside 15 minutes, and just 15 minutes every day, and read some of the Bible, maybe a psalm, maybe some Proverbs, maybe some of the New Testament, and ask God, would you show me what you're up to? Would you teach me about yourself here? And read And see what he does. If a verse highlights, spend some time praying about it. If he says, love your neighbor, and all of a sudden your neighbor who has loud parties until 4 a.m. Because they work the night shift. Comes to mind, you think, okay, I need to love my neighbor. Or maybe... He brings something completely different to mind, like the barista that you see every morning. It says, okay, love your neighbor, and you think of the barista you see every morning, so slow down and say hello. Spend time with him, 15 minutes a day, regularly asking him what's going on. Be in his word and in prayer. To grow with his people that were not meant to be in isolation. In Genesis, before the fall, God says it is not good for man to be alone. We were built to be in community We're built to be in community. So to seek it out, we'll have opportunities for community here this summer on Wednesday nights starting in mid-June. You guys are all welcome to come and be a part of that. Maybe you have community in your house. Maybe you have other believers, a couple friends. But to invest in Christ-centered community and then devote yourselves to living it out, to putting what you learn into action Because Jesus' commandments were never meant to just be a mental exercise. It was never meant to just be gaining more knowledge. It was never meant to stay up here or even right here. It is meant to be lived out. Those who hear my words and put them into practice who hear and do, those are the ones who build their life on the rock. It's not just hearing. It's hearing and doing. It's putting into practice the words and wisdom and life of Jesus that he is freely giving to us because he deeply loves us. Each week we take communion here to remember the depth of the love that God has given us. That his body was broken for us, his blood was poured out for us, and he invites us to take of his flesh and to drink of his blood, to remember that it is his strength and his life that enter us, to give us the power even to put into practice the things that he teaches. The life of Jesus isn't the life of striving. It is the life of surrendering and depending on God even to carry out his mission that he gives us, the the apostles, right? It wasn't, guys, go to the end of the world and you're gonna work really hard. It was go to the ends of the world and wait for me to give you the strength to do it. And so as we look at his words, as we begin to decide to devote ourselves to obeying his commands, it's not an exercise in striving. It is an exercise in receiving his strength and his ability to even carry out what he is inviting us into.